what do you think like the top five vegetables should be then? Well, I would have to say for one, dark leafy greens. And, you know, I think kale can be, I happen to like kale. But I know that it, it can <laughs> kale, be it's so divisive. So divisive. Yeah. But I'm not recommending that. I'm saying that like, I like it. I don't really have, you know, any, any major issue digesting it, but I think arugula is phenomenal. Romaine it. lettuce. Yeah. Mixed greens, all great, all great. And super nutrient dense because they're rich in folate and vitamin C, but they provide very few calories. Which, yeah. which increases their nutrient density, right, by definition. We know that people who eat a bowl of dark leafy greens every day have more youthful brains, so brains mm -hmm. that perform up to 11 years younger. Meat of all kinds, including fish, I'm sure, yeah, right? Absolutely. Proteins. Yep. Then you've got fruit, vegetables. What's next? Are we to wine yet? Because if we're not to like chocolate <laughs> and wine, I just, you know... Hello, welcome to the Pretty Intense Podcast. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, today you're in for a treat. Max Lugavere is on the show and he shares all of his great knowledge about food and like he has this amazing approach to life that I think is going to be contagious, or I hope so, because it's so balanced and beautiful. Um, he is a wellness journalist. He has a podcast called The Genius Life, and he's written two books called Genius Foods and Genius Kitchen. So check those out. Um, man, we just covered cool things. We talked about like some of his love, loves and interests outside of food even. Um, and he's got this famous smoothie and you've got to hear what's in it because it's super good for you and keeps your blood sugar really stable, which is kind of a rarity with smoothies. We created a food pyramid. So you've got to listen to the end to hear the food pyramid because I think it's epic and I want to implement it across the board. I know you're going to also hear like how people end up getting to develop the food pyramid and who gets in to do that. And I'm just going to say it's probably not fair what they try and tell us to eat. But Max has the solution. All things health and wellness and all things balance and a great way to approach life and great ways to look at things like vegan, carnivore, dairy, all kinds of things that have like stigma or like there's like, what do I do? What do I not do? He has some great answers. So uh, thanks for coming by. Thanks for listening. Please hit the subscribe button and let me know what you think in the comments. Who really <laughs> likes to listen to their voice anyway? Do you ever listen to your stuff and you're like, oh God, it's like nails down a chalkboard? I have I to listen hate. to my voice at one and a half speed, like on podcasts. Otherwise I'm like, oh, why do I talk so slow? <laughs> Which I don't think I talk slow, but when I'm listening back to it, you know, it's just like, come on, get on with it. Maybe you process that fast. Maybe. Maybe I do, do you listen, listen to things. other things at one and a half speed. Yeah, I typically do. I typically do. I think that there's like, yeah, our brains are able to process information faster than our lips are able to convey information. So I agree with that. I listen yeah. to books at as fast a speed as I can digest it, which usually falls at that one and a half to two sometimes. Interesting. Interesting. Do you actually sing though? Actually, truth is, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a singer. Amazing. And I took voice lessons when I was really young. And the teacher would like touch my stomach. And I thought, and he was, it just grossed me out. So I oh. quit. I stopped after that summer's lessons. I was like, I'm not comfortable with this old man sitting at a piano touching me. So That's pretty cringe. Yeah. So I guess I could have been a pop star, maybe. No, huh. I don't think I, I, you know, what? I like to joke. I harmonize really well because when the music's up and I'm singing, people are like, wow, you sound pretty good. And then I turn the music down for myself in the car. I don't know if you've ever done that before. Just to sa 
see how you really sound. And I turn it down and I'm like, hmm, not so great. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know. I mean, I love, I, I actually sing and I, but it's something that like I I've, I've learned over the years. I've taught myself, I've worked really hard to be able to do it. And it's like, it's so gratifying, um, and, and fun to be able to do. How do you teach yourself? Well, I think at a certain point I realized that enough people in the world can sing and can sing well, that there's got to be something teachable about it. There's got to be something that, you know, that it's not magic. I mean, certainly some people are born with beautiful tones and they, they, you know, are practicing since they're like toddlers. And that certainly wasn't me, but, um, but I just figured that there had to be something like that I was able to learn about, about doing it. Like when I, before I knew, before I learned about singing, I thought that people just kind of like, it was just a different way of talking and some people sounded better than others, you know, but you actually have to, I didn't know that you actually have to use your voice to hit certain notes, like scales on a piano. And, um, once I learned that I had that revelation, which sounds very rudimentary, but, um, but I just was like, I practiced and I took a few voice lessons and I just repeat like repetition over and over and over again. And so I'm not like amazing by any means, but I definitely can, can do it. And it's like one of the greatest things, like just the, the, the practice of it. It's one of the most gratifying things I've ever embarked on. Wow. Yeah. Wow. There's so many thoughts that come to mind, like growth mindset. Like, have you ever read mindset? No. By Carol Dweck. Huh. I mean, I think they they use like art as an example in the book, but it's it's talking about, you know, your ability to either be a fixed mindset person or growth. And with growth, you sort of associate with the process instead of with the outcome. And you also believe that you can learn things again because you're process oriented. Mm. And so it like shows people drawing a picture that they're told to draw. And then they take like a day class of painting or drawing and then it shows the picture at the end of the day and it's like infinitely better wow. and so it's not just that you can't do things or can it's that you need to apply yourself like i sucked at racing before i started right <laughs> but then i didn't suck so much and yeah. so you know that's oh gosh that's interesting do you play an instrument with it too yeah i play guitar i play guitar oh my God, yeah I have a guitar in the corner and i just like wish i knew how to play guitar but i wow. don't practice it's that time of year to start settling back into those routines. Back to work, back to school, back to that familiar rhythm of everyday life. And one of my favorite routines is snacking that I can feel good about. That means pairing some fresh cut veggies with the great taste of good foods dips and guacamole, like plant-based queso, buffalo and tzatziki dips, and the chunky and spicy guacamoles. I pay attention to what I eat and all good foods dips are made with only the kind of natural goodness that comes from the highest quality ingredients. So they always taste great. And with good foods, single serve options, we're talking perfectly ripe portions that are always fresh for that grab and go schedule. Getting back into the swing of things takes time. That's what makes ready to go good foods, dips and guacs so perfect. Pick them up from your local grocery store today. Just another great reason to make good foods part of your everyday routine. Practice makes perfect. Ten, it's like the 10,000 hours. I don't know. I mean, I'll never be like, you know, John Mayer on, on the axe, right? But like, I can play well enough to accompany myself and like, and actually perform like out, like sing a song with my guitar. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, that it sounds is, it's, so fun. It's totally growth mindset, which I, I think to me has been a major like life lesson with 
that has bled into other areas of my life that it's what they say, like whatever you set your mind to, you can, you can achieve. Like it proved to me that while you can't do um, everything, like you can't do everything, right. We just don't have that kind of time Mm -hmm. or or cognitive capacity. We Mm -hmm. can do anything that we set our mind to provided it's like, you know, we focus on the one thing, whatever, whatever it happens to be. And so for years, I just, I dedicated myself to, to practicing music and learning and, um, and yeah, and I was like terrible and I I was less terrible over time. And then, you know, maybe occasionally I sounded all right. And then sort of the Delta between the amount of time that you sound all right Mm -hmm. to the time that you, you know, spend sucking sort of shrinks. And then eventually you, you know, yeah, you figure it out. And, and I might have not the confidence to do it in front of people. Yeah. 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 It's awesome. It's been like, yeah, I love it. It's, um, it's like my, I'm, my, I, my brain is like a light switch. Like I'm, I'm passionate about if I'm passionate about something, I'm obsessed with it. Oh, yeah, and there's just so. like, yeah, I can tell. And so it's like, for me, there's like a very small handful of things that I'm obsessed with. Music is one of them. Cinema and like movies is another and then oh. health. So just those three things. Like I can talk fluently about those three things and then I can't really, you know, everything. Got it. We're going to cover those three things then today. (laughs) I didn't plan on two of them, but that's okay because I love talking about things that light people up and having that growth mindset with being able to learn how to sing and play the guitar and be a musician that it affected so many other areas of your life. So first I wanted to ask that because it sounds like there's more stories. Yeah, it's like it had like a spillover effect. Like what yeah. I was able to prove to myself with music, um, it's the same way, you know, I'm I'm essentially an autodidact. So like I learn best by myself. And I'm that's not to say that I uh don't accept expert help when when I need it. Um but in general like I'm I'm just a passionately curious person and um and I obsess on things and I just I I try and try and try and try until uh I eventually, you know, there's like the, the semblance of success. And, um, and so that kind of informed my health journey in many ways. Like, um, you know, I'm, I didn't become, uh, I'm not an academic. I didn't go through medical school. I don't have a PhD in nutrition, but, um, it's the passion really for health and nutrition. That is what propelled me and motivated me and kept me going um, to amass and aggregate all the information that I, that I have today, you know, that I've written that fills my books and that fills my podcast and, and, and all of that. And it's that sort of entitlement to information and to insight and to mastery that, um, that I feel like was applicable in music and is, is also applicable to what I do with my health. Mm. Um, yeah, it's sort of like Malcolm Gladwell in the book outliers talks about this sort of um, the positive side to entitlement. I mean, we tend to think of entitlement as this bad personality trait. And most of the time it is right. Like in, in social settings, in social settings, entitlement is pretty bad, but, um, and in, with our relationships. Right. But I think that there's a form of entitlement that's, uh, that we can apply to, um, to knowledge and to wisdom and to insight and to, um, acquiring new skills. Right that I think is actually very beneficial. And that's what Malcolm Gladwell talks about in Outliers. Basically that like one of the commonalities among all seemingly successful people is that they felt entitled to the success that they've earned. They felt entitled to whether it was shake up an industry like 
for example, what Elon Musk has done with the electric car industry or the car industry in general, right? Because it didn't <laughs> really exist before him. Um, or uh, what you did in the world of racing, you know, like, or um, what I've done in the, in the world of health. Like, I could have easily have said, oh, I'm not, you know, what's a guy like me with no MD, no PhD going to have to offer, mm. right, in, the, in terms of the grander health conversation. But I felt entitled to, to answers and I, um, and I felt entitled to, to teach and to share. And, um, and yeah, so that, those were, I feel like if I didn't have that early experience with music, I wouldn't have, um, yeah, my, my perspective would be a bit different. What is your definition of entitled then in that context? That's a good question. I mean, I think it just means that in a, in a way there's no, um, that nothing's off limits really that, uh, that in a way you are deserving of, um, of, of what it is that you seek, whatever that happens to be. Now, when applied in social settings, like you're not deserving of anybody's, anybody else's resources, right? right? Or anybody else's time or love or what have you, like you earn your love or the love that you get from others or the, the resources that others choose to share with you, right? Um, and that's a two-way street in the social mm -hmm. setting. But um, we live in an incredible time now where all of the world's knowledge is available to each person at their fingertips 24 hours a day, right? So yeah. that's just, it's out there. It's there for the taking. Mm -hmm. So if you don't feel entitled to take it, nobody's going to hand it to you, yeah. right? So I think that that feeling a sense of like, I deserve to quench my curiosity when it arises that's something that I think is like really powerful. And I think a positive application of this um, otherwise sort of. In the heart of Napa Valley lays Somnium, which means to dream in Latin. The Somnium Vineyard Estate is an extension of the love and intensity that I pour into everything I do. To experience our wines, visit SomniumWine.com and use the code Somnium to receive a $10 flat shipping rate. Please drink responsibly. Uh, the, the, this concept that can otherwise have a negative connotation. Yeah, I like that. I like that definition a lot. Um, all right. Well, movies. Like, okay. First off, just name your favorite movie. Let's just start there. Oh God, that's so hard. Okay, name your top three. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I love. Uh, God, off the top of my head, I mean, it's like it's like when a musician is like playing uh playing a show the reason why they have a set list is because when the spotlight is like actually on you you forget all the songs you've ever written and so it's sort of like similar when you're put on the spot about like your favorite like movies or songs but i guess like i'm a huge fan of v for vendetta oh good that one. was an incredible movie i love the dialogue in that film um and the one. sort of the philosophical undertones and the sort of i like i'm drawn to more moody uh themes darker kind of themes in movies dystopias you know portraits of like of of dystopic universes and i feel like v for vendetta is a great sort of example of that i love christopher nolan so like oh, me too inception might come out my favorite movie is interstellar is it oh cool matthew mcconaughey right yeah yeah but inception's kind of got almost like that not super dark, but it definitely I'm thinking of movies that I like and I'm like, hmm, you know, there's that sort of psychological dark side to why we do what we do and how we go about our life, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I can get a bit nihilistic at times. I, um, you know, I, I'm of the belief that like life, there's a lot of suffering that comes along with life. Um, it's kind of embedded in our existence, I think. Yeah, yeah. You, no matter who you are, you know, a lot of people like to weaponize this concept of like privilege today. But I think for no matter who you are, like life is suffering. We what we watch our parents get older become decrepit and ultimately pass. And I think that's a really hard thing. I mean, I experienced it. Um, and so I like art that kind of explore, that explores those kind of themes and then prevents, uh, prevents, like presents a, a sort of like, you know, an alternate world, you know, for example, in V for Vendetta, it's this, it's clearly this like dystopic world where people are under, you know, authoritarian control and V, the main character is like almost like this superhero who um, fights against the status quo. Mm. And, uh, and that's something that like, I think is really inspiring. And, um, and, you know, I can, I can kind of relate to it. That sort of like tr fighting truth to power um, idea. Like I, I can relate to it with my work in health. And so, um, yeah, I kind of, I don't know. I just, I, the, they, those kinds of like themes speak to me. Did you ever watch Dexter? You know, I never did. <laughs> it seems like totally right <laughs> up your alley. Like it's about this guy that just freaking murders everyone, but yeah. he's doing it for the right reasons. Like he's yeah. like the right, the, he's like a good murderer. <laughs> it's funny you, you bring that up because actually you reminded me of my my other favorite. It's not a movie, but it's like TV, long form TV, Six Feet Under is one mm. of my favorite shows of all time. Oh, wow. And I think one of the major reasons why I didn't watch Dexter is because to me, Michael C. Hall, who plays the gay yeah. younger Fisher brother in, in Six Feet Under, I, mm. can ne I never wanted to see him as anything but that. And so, oh. <laughs> yeah, and he's a star. You love Dexter. to just enter the world. I'm just going to stay in that world. Yeah, pretty much. That world like it is. And then we'll go to a different world. Okay. Yeah, yeah because it, it betrays the illusion. You know, like I, I see movies almost as a, as a form of truth which they are really. And so six feet under is like a perfect example of that. And so when I, um, when I catch those actors in other projects and especially if the projects aren't like thematically similar or if they're bad, um, it kind of like bursts the bubble for me, which makes me, you know, it's like a little bit of cognitive, cognitive dissonance, which I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I like that. Okay. All right, cool. Yeah. Um, so, uh, health, that's the third bucket. We're third spending bucket. Hot, hot minute here. Wait, I first have to start off with what the hell is in this smoothie that everyone loves? This purple smoothie. Yes. Okay. So I launched a smoothie with Earth Bar, which is where, where, what state are you in, by the way? I don't even I'm in know. Arizona. I'm in, you're in Arizona. Too. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you're not far. Yeah. Um, there are Earth Bars. It's like a it's like a smoothie shop all around California. Is like a, does it have food too? I feel like is there one in Laguna? I believe so. Yeah, but anyway, so I launched a smoothie with them. It's called the Genius Smoothie, and uh, it's super tasty. I was never much of a smoothie guy, but um, but I launched a smoothie with them, which is like not overly sweet. There's no bananas in it. I feel like most of the time when you go to a you know get a smoothie, it's like all frozen banana just leaves you in a glycemic coma afterwards. So mine is like primarily blueberries and um, we get a little bit of frozen avocado, which is uh, very low glycemic, yeah, yeah. rich in healthy fats. Um, and then some whey protein, which is super high biological value, 
uh, source of essential amino acids and branch chain amino acids. And then mm -hmm. cinnamon, a cacao extract that's, yeah, it's it tastes like an oatmeal cookie. It's really freaking good. And people have been loving it, which is awesome. That's so, awesome. Well, I would totally check it with my continuous blood glucose monitor to, but everyone's that. different. That's the one thing I found is that um, with like checking your blood sugar, definitely there are some things that just don't spike it as much, but um, it's, it's a little individual, um, Yeah, but it's a good, it's uh that sounds delicious. It sounds like something I would put, like, if I were going to do it, I, I mean, like a little banana is lovely, like a quarter of a banana even just Fair. to like make it creamy, but the avocado does the job. Yeah. It's creamy. It's yeah. You would like it, I think. And people that follow me have been who wear CGMs. Yeah. I've been posting some. I mean, I've seen like two or three people post mm -hmm. like their curves and it doesn't seem to spike blood sugar at all. Amazing. Yeah. If, Good if for that's you. A thing. Yeah. It's a it's like a brain boosting smoothie that also has great a great source of protein. Good for muscle protein synthesis. And um, and yeah, it's cool. You know, like in L.A., we've got there's the Haley Bieber smoothie. Over at over at Erewhon, and then there's like yeah. the Max Lugavere <laughs> Genius Smoothie at Earth Bar. So it's like it, it feels kind of cool to be in that arena, you know. Uh, so what are you into these days? Like, what I mean, when it comes to like health, I feel like people ask me all the time. They're like, "What are you eating these days? <laughs> like, what are you doing these days?" People when they're when I'm traveling and working, and they have to order meals for me or get meals for whatever it is that I'm doing, events or planes or anything. They're like what are you eating? Um, so I feel like there's always something in the testing and being tested and run. So like, what is that for you right now? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think I continue to advocate for, um, the consumption of minimally processed foods, like animals and plants, which is like so controversial online. And to me, it's like the least controversial thing ever. Um, <laughs> But you know, like people, people in the nutrition space, they're very polarized by their, by their diet tribes, whatever those happen to be, whether it's like the plant-based community or the carnivore community or like the low carb community or the keto community. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess like the things that I'm really enjoying talking about lately, um, I've been sort of, I actually, my views on dairy have changed. I don't know where you, where you st stand on dairy, but I used to be like, when I first got into the wellness world, there's this dogma that like dairy is bad. It's like, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, not clean. I didn't eat dairy for years. Yeah. And uh, and I get it. Like a lot of people are lactose intolerant and um, and you get a lot of pressure from the, the plant based community not to consume dairy. And there's a lot of money from the plant based alternative like milks, you know, to steer consumers away from dairy. But if you actually look at like what it is, it's an incredibly nutrient dense food. It's one of the most nutrient dense foods. Um, available to people, right? And it's very inexpensive and it's got all these like micronutrients in it, great source of protein, um, especially when you look at specific dairy products like Greek yogurt or um, whey protein, which I'm a big fan of. And uh, and I'm not sponsored by the dairy industry. It's just that I've sort of, I went and I looked at the research on dairy and it's really not like, it's not inflammatory. Like there's like the, this, people think that like milk is an intrinsically inflammatory. It's not. And so um, I've been enjoying sort of like talking about that a bit because I think it's really important, especially when you're in a position of influence um, in the in the nutrition sphere to share with people where your views change, you know, because mm -hmm. I mean, that's mm -hmm. what science is. It's like iterative. And if you're not willing, if you're not willing to check your your beliefs and your assumptions um, on a regular basis, then you're not really 
that's like not scientific. You know, you're just like right. being dogmatic. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. So I have, I agree. I, let's see, I went gluten and dairy free probably like back in like 2013 and then mm, probably 2015 paleo. And then I stayed like that for quite a while um, until probably last year, maybe 2021 ish. And, but now this sort of raw dairy market Mm. is very intriguing. And when you think about the, um, how many health, how much healthy bacteria and how much bioavailable nutrients there are, and it's not stripped with heat and all these processing, uh, mechanisms to clean it. Um, you kind of have an alive food versus a dead food. And so I, and then I also do more of uh, goat cheese. I've always loved goat cheese, but I cut that out even for that time period. So goat cheese and feta, because it's goat and sheep, right? So it's not really dairy, essentially. Um, I believe that that's what that's what I've been told. Um, and then raw, and then some raw stuff. So raw cream, um, kefir or kefir. How do you pronounce it? I, th- I think it's kefir, but kefir sounds more like legit, like you know, in its origin oh, yeah. language like i could i would believe that it's more like target versus target yeah exactly so we'll go with kefir yeah um and um butter raw butter so all the raw stuff and you guys can get that pretty easy in california it is pretty easy to find yeah i think at, at like sprouts we now have raw dairy and i i allegedly raw dairy i haven't vetted this for myself but raw dairy has it has lactose in it, which is the mm-hmm. problematic sugar that people, 75% of the global population has difficulty digesting, but it also mm-hmm. allegedly has lactase in it, which is the enzyme. So lact- oh. what, what lactose intolerance is, is an inability to produce the lactase enzyme, which breaks down lactose. Oh. But apparently in, uh, and again, this is just like, I'm, I haven't vetted this, but apparently raw dairy has lactase in it to make it you can basically like easily digest it even if you're lactose intolerant. So nature made it perfect. Yeah. Yeah, I mean so I'm a big fan of of like minimally processed foods and like animal products I think really really valuable. Um I've been sort of batting heads with uh you know a lot of the science coming out lately is um really I mean seemingly funded by the food industry and and i think with the intent of leading consumers astray well i don't know if that's the intent but it certainly seems that way and um and you know there's this push i think towards like highly processed ultra processed foods these days um from our most trusted academic institutions you know and i think it's a big problem i mean today 60 percent of of people consume like the calories that most people consume are by and large from these like ultra processed foods. These are the foods that line our supermarket aisles. They're shelf stable. They're not real. They're like not even real food. Exactly. And they're really at the the foundation of the epidemic of modern chronic disease, which includes obesity. And, um, and, and you'd be surprised how much like dissuading consumers from those kinds of foods, you actually get like pushback from, from like the industry, you know, and it's just like really maddening. That's their cognitive dissonance. You have yeah. cognitive dissonance around seeing a character in a movie playing yeah. a different role, but these people are like, don't mess with my Pop-Tarts. Like, yeah. Those are my life. Yeah. And they're all, I mean, I think they're all chills for the, for the food industry at this point. It's really sad. 
Um, and I, and so I understand why, why so many consumers are confused when it comes to like what it means to eat healthily these days. Um, so yeah, it's a big cheaper problem. too. I mean, you look at a lot of stuff. I mean, you know, things that take giant multi-million dollar, billion dollar industries with factories and all these, you know, trucks and everything it takes to get the product to market. And then it's a dollar 19 and then you see something else that's pulled out of the dirt and put on a shelf and it's 5.99 and so it's it seems counterintuitive like why do you think why do you think that there's such a difficulty for people to transition to recognizing how bad some things are for you well, I think a lot of it does come from the from the food industry. I mean, you you walk through like your average supermarket and there's some r ridiculous percentage. I forget exactly what it is, but by and large, super, the supermarkets are filled these days with these kinds of foods, right? And these are the foods that make health claims. So like <laughs> you see the red heart healthy logo on the canola oil, right? But you don't typically see it on extra virgin olive oil. <laughs> Right. Or a beet, you know, it's or not like there's a sticker that says like, good for your heart. Yeah, exactly. On beets or on, or on broccoli or even <laughs> on, even on eggs, right? Like eggs are one of nature's perfect foods. Like, it's like a duh. I think the veg fruits, and, like the natural stuff is just says duh. <laughs> yeah. So that's why I think, I think consumers are, and also it's like these foods are easy. They're always at arm's reach. They're high margin. So they're heavily promoted by the food industry. Um, they tend to be what food scientists refer to as hyper palatable. So they have this quality that makes them um, impossibly delicious. You know, I think like everybody's had that experience of like opening a pint of ice cream and intending to have like a spoonful or even a serving size and end up eating the whole pint, right? Like you're not weird if that's happened to you. You're human. You're a victim of marketing of also food science because they make that stuff so that there's like some perfect ratio, right? There's some perfect ratios of sort of sweet and salty, crunchy, creamy, like a intersection point between the perfect amount of certain things that keep you wanting more. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think I've heard it referred to as the Dorito effect. Oh yeah. You know. But I mean it's it's not just Doritos. You can run a little thought experiment for yourself. If you were to think of like a baked potato, like you probably wouldn't be prone to overconsuming a plain baked potato. Like it probably wouldn't, you'd you know, maybe have like a spoonful and you'd be like, oh, I've had enough of that. Then the minute you add butter to it, right? And not just any butter, but salted butter. So you're adding fat and salt, right? To the starch. Suddenly that potato becomes hyper palatable. It becomes like this insane thing. So it's not, it's not even necessarily something that is like uh, exclusive to food manufacturers. It's just that the human tongue knows when it's when it's attained a calorie dense food, which for the vast majority of our of our evolution before we had food security, right? We were food insecure. And so to the the ability to be able to recognize a calorie dense source of food was actually a life saving trait. So that was selected for in the human genome. So, so if you eat food dense, if you eat calorically dense food, you're just smart. Yeah, pretty much. Or a survivor at the very least. <laughs> right. But that sets up like a really simple operating system. That's why we store fat, right? I mean, early on, the those of us who were able to store the most fat the, the most easily would be the ones that were most likely, would be most likely to survive the winter, right? Periods of food scarcity. 
This brings up an interesting topic of what makes us store fat, because when you said that, it made me start thinking about fasting and how in ancient and older times where there was less readily available cans of Campbell's soup on the shelf, you know, there were periods of time that you'd fast and periods of times that you'd feast. And so what is it that makes us store fat then? If back in those days, it seemed like there was far more clean foods. And if you needed to make it through the winter, what made us put the fat on so that we could survive? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, I mean, there are a few variables at play. I mean, first and foremost, it's, you know, to store fat, you're essentially consuming more calories than you're burning every day. That's like, that's like level one of the, of, I think, you know, the phenomena is that energy balance. Like if you're, if you're, if you're consuming more calories and you're burning every day, but the issue is that that when, when people take that sort of mathematical maxim as, as sort of advice, that's when I think people get led astray because in the calories in calories out equation, calories out, meaning the amount of calories that you burn every single day, right? Whether it's via exercise or just navigating the world, that's highly influenced by myriad variables, including hormones, including stress, um, mm-hmm. including your body composition, for example. So, you know, to make everything about calories, I think, does a disservice to people who are really struggling with their weight. I think primarily it's our unyielding proximity to these hyperpalatable calorie dense foods that are minimally. So aside, along with their caloric density, they're min- they tend to be minimally satiating. And humans don't, we, we don't like, we're not good at moderating our hunger, especially when all we do are eat these kinds of foods. And so the, I think what's really important for people to know is are sort of like the factors that make a food satiating because we all want to eat to that feeling of fullness, right? We're not designed to stop eating at 50% of the way, you know, to satiety. Right. And ultra processed foods, they tend to be not satiating because they are usually dehydrated because water impedes a food's shelf stability. So manufacturers remove the water from a food, which is water is inherently satiating in and of itself. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. As you take another sip. Size the size of my head. It's great. I mean, like if you think about a, if you think about, first of all, water, you could go a month or two without eating any food, but two or three days without water you're in deep in deep trouble right so when water ceased to be available for one of our hunter-gatherer ancestors where would the next best place to find water be it would be food right fruits and vegetables we all know great source of water but even animal products great source of water right i mean an organism is 72 73 something like that percent water kind of like us yeah and so if you're if you're hungry i mean it could just be that you're dehydrated right yeah but also we know that foods that are hydrating tend to be more satiating than foods that are dehydrated. Where does salt fall into that? Because like I have a little bit of like element in here and I love element. Um, a little bit of trace minerals and um, I love element too. It's actually so delicious. And it's, there's some, there's a bunch of obviously options, but I, I do like element. Watermelon's my favorite. Um, anyway, so, so what is it? So where does it fall into the, potentiality of actually really want to talk about water for a second. Um, why would salt make sodium and potassium or sodium, magnesium, potassium, where does that sort of trio fall in making you feel better? 
Well, yeah, that's a good question. So those are all electrolytes. And when you sweat, for one, you lose electrolytes in your sweat. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. sodium is the one that you lose the most of. Mm -hmm. Sodium is an incredibly important, vital nutrient. And in fact, you know, we have a lot of colloquial sayings that kind of hint at just how valuable sodium and salt specifically have been throughout history. Like saying that somebody is worth their salt, right? That's how valuable salt, the word salary, right? Actually, it's thought the word salary derives from sal, which is salt. Thought it was celery. Wow. Yeah, celery. <laughs> really? Very, it derives from salt? Yeah. That's cool. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, it was a very salt. Salt of the earth. Salt of the earth. Yeah, it was used, I believe it was used as a currency in certain parts of the world. Um, which all that is to say mm -hmm. that salt was a very valuable, I mean, extremely valuable nutrient. You need... Mm -hmm. It's a macro mineral. You need a, a relatively high amount of sodium every day to sustain good health. To contrast to like a trace mineral, like you only need a couple of milligrams a day of zinc to sustain health, right? Like if you're eating the standard American diet, you're getting enough sodium. But that's because these products tend to be loaded with sodium to um, improve their flavor profiles. But if you're eating, if you're on the path to, to good health, which I'm assuming many of your listeners are, you know, because it's something that, that you're into, then you actually have to become cognizant of like where you're getting your sodium. Like I try yeah. to eat minimal packaged processed foods on a daily basis. And like, it could be like hours sometimes. If I haven't salted my food, I likely haven't gotten much sodium yeah. by midday. I've like the, le the, I mean, I, I mean, I eat very well. Um, but like, I've found that I need more. And especially if I'm doing, um, a little phase of low carb or any level of fasting, it really seems like salt is so necessary. Like today's one yeah, of those yeah. days. And you just, I just feel like I, if I don't have some sodium added to my water, I just, I low, I'm low energy. Yeah. I feel that way too. And as, yeah, as you mentioned, when you're low carb, just on 24 hours of, of initiating a low carb diet, your first 24 hours, the amount of insulin secreted by your pancreas is cut in half and insulin holds on to causes your body to hold on to sodium. And so <laughs> what happens is when you cut your, your insulin levels, um, which, you know, is considered generally a positive thing, you lose sodium. So imagine being on a lower carbohydrate, carbohydrate diet. You're in one of these parts of the world, like you are where it's very dry, right? And then on, you throw sweating on top of that exercise, which we know is beneficial, Maybe, you know, maybe you're sitting in a sauna. Suddenly you're like, you I will know, in a little bit. Yeah. That's booked today too. Amazing. A hoe cat. Have you ever heard of a hoe cat? No. It's like that? this spaceship thing you sit in with your head sticking out and it, um, it, it's uh, like a CO2 oxygen chamber. So it, like you don't shower afterwards cause you want it to sit on your skin and there's um, microcurrent as well. So you hold on to two wands and you put your feet on the others and you have microcurrent flowing through your body with a ton of heat sick wow it's, yeah it's yeah so yes exactly so i'm sweating i've worked out um it's hot in arizona it's um um low to no carb uh and like an 18 hour fasting window so like hell yeah i need my salt yeah you need your salt exactly it's super 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 important you know and i think it's important for people to to know um that 11 percent of the sodium that your average person ingests comes from their salt shakers and the recipes that the food that they that they cook for themselves at home. The vast majority comes from restaurant food and ultra processed food products like shelf stable huh. preserved foods. 
Better number shake one, that, shake it on my food more then. Yeah, it's it's very valuable. And what was um, that? You're, you're just going to say another one? The number one source of dietary sodium in the American diet, it's not processed meat. It's not canned foods. It's bread and rolls, <laughs> commercial bread and rolls. So if you if you cut out those kinds of foods for the most part or you eat them in moderation, which, you know, somebody like me, like you probably does. Um, then you're cutting, you're xing out like a huge sodium contributor from hmm. from your diet. So it is, wow. it's it's crucially important. If you don't sort of like treat or have good water and have some sort of mineralization to it or something like a, a electrolyte in it, is there some? Is there sort of like almost like anti water? Like it actually dehydrates you in any way? And I'm asking because, like a, la- a week or two ago, I was drinking water and um i was putting a ton of more sodium and i was in a longer fasting window and i kept drinking more water and i was so thirsty but when i drink regular water i'm just without anything in it it just seems like i don't really want that much of it so it it made me thirsty and not only does it taste better of course there's that element to it but element but um but also it just i was thirsty for more so is that the sodium telling me to drink more because it wants to pull more water in or is there an actual something else happening i was really confused yeah well we know that minerals like these electrolytes definitely do um enhance water uptake and also carbohydrates do as well like sugar can but you know we tend to overconsume sugar these days so i'm not recommending that people go and put put yeah. sugar in their water but um there was a study that found that compared the hydrating effects of water milk uh sodas and things like that and what they found was that like milk was that like certain certain fluids were more hydrating than water itself like milk probably because of the sugar that that is contained in milk um so i'm not saying that you need to con- go and consume sugar because we we all tend to overconsume that anyway but yeah it's it's definitely true that um you know your water will more easily be absol- absorbed when you con- consume it concurrently with with minerals hmm. but that being said i mean it's not a major concern shouldn't be a major concern for most people because you end up like if you're drinking say you drink water out of a reverse osmosis purifier which has nothing in it right like no minerals and you can yep. drink it with food like your food has minerals in it that are going to increase that are going to facilitate you know that water absorption so it's not something that i would necessarily worry about yeah okay um we were i touched on fasting is that something you do do you are you over it it's a, there's like a, a few different contexts in which fasting is sort of is hailed and i think that in general, it's a it's a useful it can be a useful tool for people. It's not magic. It's you don't have to do it for weight loss. Um, but uh, when looking at the research on what's called early time restricted feeding, I think that there are some potential metabolic benefits to come with eating an earlier dinner and and not eating too late, you know, into the evening. For one, um, because we're diurnal creatures, and so our metabolisms are most pri- are primed to be at their mm-hmm. at its most fired up during the daytime hours so we're most mm-hmm. insulin sensitive during the day um our metabolisms are higher right and yeah. we have these clocks they're called peripheral clocks all around our bodies that are influenced by by when we eat right hmm. and so there's this thinking that eating too late at night can send can sort of cause asynchrony in these clocks and it can lead to impaired glucose regulation 
heightened blood pressure, which is not good. Um, and so I don't have like a hard and fast rule about fasting, but I do think it's generally better to eat earlier an earlier dinner um, by like 7, 8 p.m. And, th- and then to not eat, uh, to not really eat um, after that. The other thing, the other thing about fasting that makes it a really powerful tool to um, improve weight, it's not more beneficial from a weight loss standpoint as just regular old calorie restriction. But if you think about the kinds of foods that most people eat um, in front of their TVs at night, like after dinner, like after dinner snacks, after dinner snacks tend to be carbs and fat. They tend not to be protein. They tend yeah, to be Yeah, nobody's food. snacking on like, you know, filet, stri- a chunk of filet. Exactly. <laughs> so if you, if you adopt like an intermittent fasting um, protocol for yourself, right, and you skim off those three to 400 discretionary, discretionary calories of like what you would normally eat while watching your favorite like Netflix show, chances are that's junk food, right? Totally. Right. So like, I think it can be really useful um, just sort of as a general guide rail, guide, you know, sort of guardrail to have in place to uh, skim off those like discretionary calories that tend to come from junk food. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Totally. I've been, I mean, my preference, totally. I love to eat dinner early. It's, uh, it's so much easier. Some people are hungry in the morning. Some people are hungry at night though. That's the thing too. There's some people that wake up and they can't eat, you know? And so yeah. they're just like, I don't even feel good if I eat, or I can't go work out if I eat. And I was always quite the opposite. So I suppose it's easier for me, but, but just knowing that, and, and even just working on the circadian clock, right. Just, you know, obviously it's a little different in the summer, but it's easier to do in the winter when it's dark by five. Right. So yeah, eating, following when, it's, that. eating when it's super dark out tends not to feel very good for me. I think at the end of the day, like personal preference really does reign supreme. That's one of the things that, that, that the research seems to show over and over again, that really mm-hmm. like you can, it's like splitting hairs to some degree. Like if you're, if you want to eat breakfast, then by all means eat breakfast. If you don't like eating breakfast, breakfast, you don't have to eat breakfast. We're told by the food industry that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. But I think that's really just a, was meant just to sell cereal. Uh, I shared recently on social media that the, um, there was a paper that came out that looked at the conflicts of interests among people who were invited to contribute to the 2020 dietary guidelines for Americans paper. You know, every five years, the experts get together, right? Yeah. To put, yeah, like the food pyramid, yeah. the USDMI plate, every five years. <laughs> so the, in 2020, 95% of the committee members had conflicts of interest with pharma, with the food industry. Yeah, getting that bag, right? But like, what? who suffers from that? Certainly not them. It's like the American people who just continue to get more and more confused, right? Being steered oh, more yeah. and more away from ancestral foods like beef, eggs, fish, things like that, right? Organ liver, meats, liver, organ meats. Yeah. And towards these, these high margin, low protein, ultra processed equivalents of like human pet food, essentially. That's what the standard American diet really is now comprised of primarily. And it's, and I think it's a, it's a huge problem. So the yeah. nu- nutrition science to me, it's like, obviously there's a lot of like really important work that's being done. So I don't want to undermine it completely, but in many ways it is a house of cards. And, um, and so I've just been 100%. very, yeah, I've been very disillusioned by the whole, um, the whole endeavor. And I think it's, it's really sad and messed up. And so that's why I just continue to do what I do, putting out the best information yeah. that I can 
um, in hopes of steering people in a different direction. What would Max's food pyramid look like? Ooh, that's a good question. I think that at the um, at the base, I would definitely put high protein foods. I would put like, I mean, primarily animal products, but then I would also put like the higher protein plant foods for people who are. So is know, there a split in the middle? Yeah, but I mean, the, but most of it, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be in the middle because we know that animal protein is the highest quality protein that exists in nature, right? You it's, like high fat animal protein too? Like, would you, are you like a firm believer in kind of like beef or do you think chicken, turkey, pork? That's a great question. I'm very pro beef, but I do think that it probably makes sense um, also from an ancestral standpoint to opt for like leaner cuts. And the reason why I say that is because when you feed a cow, it's biologically appropriate diet of grass, it ends up being leaner. Right. So that 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 right there tells is a data point that I use to to mm. make make some degree of determination about the relative uh, fat to protein ratio, perhaps that we're that we're meant to be ingesting. Mm. It also has a lower proportion of saturated fat, uh, a grass fed cow. And then if you look at wild game, wild game is incredibly lean. Right. It's true. And Venison, elk. Yeah, all incredibly lean. Cows are made by people. There's no yeah, wild Well, that's why cow. there's grass fed, grass finished. There's like grass fed, carrot finished. Ooh, I think I've heard one that was grass fed, pineapple finished. Oh, wow. I've had the carrot one. That's, that's pretty good. Tasty? Of course. Yeah. It's very tender. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, like cows are, cows are domesticated animals. Like we, we created yeah. the cow from, yeah. I believe the ancestral cow was like a bison or something like that. Right. It's not bison and they're leaner. So. Yes. So to me, like, especially when, you know, people's diets, you know, like my diet's not perfect, right? Like I, I do indulge now and then in, in like comfort foods, YOLO foods. And so I think, uh, you know, I think that animal fat is like, is like great and beneficial to a point, but ultimately what I'm trying to do with my choices is to prioritize protein. Okay. You know? So is that the full bottom then? I would say that's the bottom. Yeah. And, okay. then the, and then one layer up would be fibrous veggies like like um, cruciferous like Yeah, I'm a fan. I mean, don't tell the carnivores, but I think that cruciferous vegetables are great. Oh, I want to talk about the carnivore situation yeah. and plants. I've I was I Paul Saladino came and um I met him through interviewing him and then he came here and brought all of his like Oh man, berry cool. and honey and <laughs> I yeah. made him wagyu beef and <laughs> Yeah, all kinds of fatty deliciousness. Um, but anyway, they totally would be like, get that shit out of here. You know, I look at my fridge and be like, why is there spinach in your fridge? Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think that they're very they can be very dogmatic and he's smart. He's a friend like, you know, I respect his, his point of view. But um, just because like vegetables, certain vegetables don't work for certain people doesn't mean that we have to throw the baby out with the bathwater like, you know. I like certain vegetables and I have no problem digesting them and, and they're, right. they're great for me. Right. So I think that the, that the sort of one size fits all, like just eat more vegetables. That's not good advice either because people mm. like, you know, some people have impaired gut function, right? They True. have, they have impaired yeah. microbiomes. So like you really do have to figure out what's going to work best for you. So what is the, what is, what do you use as the mechanism to decide what you should and shouldn't eat when it comes to vegetables then? 
I think really it should be, it's subjective. It should be about how you feel, you know, okay. it should be like, like digestion, it, bloating. Stuff yeah. Like that. Yeah. Stuff like that. Like that's not fun. Right. Nobody wants to, right. like if you, and if you dramatically increase your fiber consumption from one day to the next, you are going to feel, you know, super bloated and feel, you know, uncomfortable. And that's probably because you just haven't yet cultivated the, the, like the microbiome, right? Like the bowel flora to contend with that sudden onslaught of fiber. Mm. But um, people who are con- who are consistently on high fiber diets, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that everybody listening to this should go out and adopt a high, f- high fiber diet, but it's true that people that are on high fiber diets consistently, like they don't have those same kinds of symptoms. Like they adapt because they develop the, the gut flora to contend with that, mm. that fiber. At the end of the day though, fiber is not an essential nutrient. So I don't, I don't tend to push fiber more than I think uh, a reasonable hmm. amount to support gut health. It's not essential, huh? It's not. So then if you, like, I would think of fiber and you think of regularity. Yeah. And so how do you stay regular if you don't have fiber in your diet? What are other triggers that keep things regular? I don't think you need fiber. I mean, uh, you know, at this point I've, uh, I've got some pretty close friends that do the carnivore diet, and when when I ask them about their you know their bathroom habits, they they're like it's fine. In fact, in fact, many of them have had uh, like IBS. See, yeah. I think that that's actually I think that I think potentially for people with with gut problems, it can be a great elimination diet to mm. to, to adopt. Super um, healing, at least temporarily, because a lot of these like you know animal products. Anybody who's ever had like a colonoscopy or any kind of like you know bowel uh, procedure performed, that you what you what you're typically recommended is to is to go on a low um, residue diet for at least a few days before the procedure. And low residue foods are foods like beef, right? <laughs> Eggs, white rice. These are the, the the foods that are easily broken down and absorbed primarily in high up in the small intestine, right? When people have gut problems, like I think it's important for for people to like every once in a while, like check out their stool. Right. And it's, it's often the undigested food particles. It's not from animal like mm-hmm. source foods, right? It's like plants that their bodies didn't wow, properly yeah. break down. Right. So totally. I think for, for people with gut problems, it can be potentially very useful to do a, do an elimination diet and get rid of plants for at least a time being for at least a time to allow their guts to heal and then to bring those foods back eventually over time, one by one, you know, to see what, what works for you and what doesn't. What do you think like the top five vegetables should be then to be in that sort of next tier up? Yeah. Well, in your opinion, because it's I different mean, for everybody. I get it. But like from nutritional standpoints for micronutrients, yeah. um, vitamins, minerals, all that good stuff. What do you think the the five big ones are? Well, I would have to say for one dark leafy greens and, you know, I think kale can be, I happen to like kale, but I know that it, it can <laughs> kale, be it's so divisive, so divisive. Yeah. But I'm not recommending that. I'm saying that like, I like it. I don't really have, you know, any, any major issue digesting it, but Dave Asprey is just going to burn you on this one. I think arugula is phenomenal. I love Romaine it. lettuce. Yeah. Mixed greens, all great, all great and super nutrient dense because they're rich in folate and vitamin C, but they provide very few calories, which, yeah. which increases their nutrient density, right? By definition. And, um, and we, you know, we know that people who eat a bowl of dark leafy greens every day have more youthful brains. So brains mm-hmm. that perform up to 11 years younger. Huh. Yeah. About a bowl a serving and a third, I believe of dark leafy greens every day. Um, 
that's becoming more and more important for people like us. Yeah. And yeah, super. And again, a, a very nutrient dense food. And so like whatever your favorite dark leafy green is, by all okay. means go for it. Yeah. Iceberg okay. lettuce doesn't count. No, totally not. It's just water. Yeah. Uh, so dark leafy greens, that's one. Well, I would put, I would probably put like fruit there as well. Like in oh, that. Fruit goes in the vegetable category. Okay. Yeah. Like in this, I mean, we, I guess we could divide that, you know, like, well, fruit, fruits and vegetables, like berries and avocados, I yeah, think yeah. are olives, berries, av berries, avocados, and olives are amazing fruits. Ah. Very like good data on them. Love also those. cacao. Cacao is also a fruit. It's true. Yeah. So other than leafy greens, you're like, screw you carrots. Screw you nightshades. Um, carrots are great. Yeah, I mean, I, love I think see, I love I think, onions. Don't just let me. Alliums, mushrooms, mushrooms are good. Oh. Alliums are great. What are um, alliums? So garlic, leeks, onions, shallots. Oh, yeah. Those are all alliums. Great source of prebiotic fib fiber. Yeah, um, that's why I get leeks. I didn't know why though. I just yeah. heard it and I was like, "Ooh, get leeks. It's a prebiotic." Leeks are bomb. Hickama. Hickam is great. I love jicama. Um, I happen to love fennel. You know, it's like I my love fennel. Yeah. It's Do my you? Favorite. I love, love, love fennel. Do I make salads like with arugula. I love it raw. Yeah, yep. me too. I don't cook it. I it's always raw. Arugula Same. and fennel and um, radicchio and um, those are like the base ingredients. Yeah, so freaking good. Like I'm, I'm obsessed. See, I think that a lot of these carnivores, they grew up with like parents that just didn't know how to cook vegetables properly. <laughs> you know, so they were the kids that grew up on. They had like their whatever their diet was at 12 years old. You know, they've just stuck with, and they learned at a certain point that hot dogs weren't good for them. But in general, it's like, you know, they're grossed out by the idea of eating vegetables. But I grew up. My mom, you know, my mom was largely vegetarian. And um, knew how to season vegetables properly, would put a ton of salt and garlic on them. And so I grew up really enjoying veggies. Yeah, I agree. It's the preparation of them. And like yeah. the, the argument on that side would be like, would you eat it if it didn't have anything on it? You know, and I'm like, <laughs> kind of, kind of. Um, okay, so we've got like meat of all kinds, including fish, I'm sure. Yeah, right? absolutely. Proteins. Yep. Then you've got fruit, vegetables. What's next? Are we to wine yet? Because if we're not to like chocolate <laughs> and wine, I just, you know. Chocolate? We could put chocolate on the, on the third tier. I would put um, I would put like extra virgin olive oil maybe on the third tier as well. Okay. It's okay, not yeah. it's not a nutrient dense food, but I think it is a functional food in many ways. It's a great source of healthy fats. Um, it's what do you what do you think about MCT oil and sort of the the brain? you know, keto ketosis and brain activation with MCT oil. You think that falls, gets any kind of ranking? Um, I wouldn't say that people, most people need to be consuming it, um, on a regular basis because it does convert to ketones, um, after we ingest it. And then there is sort of that ketone push to the brain post ingestion. Like it, it's, you know, those, those ketones are pushed into the brain, but, um, but I think it's more useful to make your own ketones, which somebody you don't have to be on a ketogenic diet to to do that. You know, somebody on a on a moderate carb diet who's active, um, 
will generally like when they wake up in the morning or after a vigorous bout of exercise dip into mild ketosis so for me ingesting mct oil it's all that those fat calories are only going to displace the calories that you would otherwise be um liquidating from your own fat stores so for me it's not it's sort of like empty calories Mm. essentially i do think that for people with neurodegenerative conditions like alzheimer's disease um there is a uh, a potentially useful application there there's actually a an fda approved medical food called axona which is based on medium chain triglycerides because what happens in the brain of somebody with alzheimer's disease is they have an impaired ability to generate atp from glucose okay and so there's this idea that ketones can sort of keep the light lights on so to speak oh it's like fat burning versus sugar burning so like for energy yeah exactly and so um, it's hmm. possible that MCTs could be useful in that setting. And I think there is a little bit of data to suggest that it can help, you know, like with functional capacity for those patients. Um, but for hmm. your average, for your average person, it's not something that I typically recommend. Okay. So what's that third tier then? Just olive oil and um, put, chocolate? Yeah. Let's put chocolate. Polyphenols. Oil. It's the polyphenol sort of yeah. <laughs> level to the pyramid. Coffee. Coffee, polyphenols, right? Yeah. Wine. Wine I would put at the top because wine is like one of these things that I enjoy. I enjoy a good you know, glass of wine as much as the next person. And I think that there was this thinking for a while that moderate drinking was actually good for you. But I think that that, that newer data has kind of overturned that thinking. And, and I think Pick I up, believe- Sorry, it's just it broke up. I couldn't <laughs> hear you. I just- is a, I, so on to the next. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Damn it, really? Like I, I love, make wine, so I really want you to say wine. Do you? Be consumed on a rate. Yeah, I have two different wines actually. Can you? I send have a Napa some? Valley wine, huh? I want some. Yeah, you want some? I will send you some. Do you have any Amazing. particular? Fa- I make Cab, Sav Blanc, Rosé, and then I also have a French Rosé that's made in Provence. That's amazing. I didn't know that. Wow, <laughs> that's huge. Holy cow. Yeah. No, I think wine, look, I think wine is great. I drink it occasionally, but, um, do you like red? Yeah. Red, red is. Okay. Well, my state wine's organic as well. So this idea of perfection is, is an an impossible ideal, right? And, and wine is like one of these things that humans, you know, for millennia have consumed. And, you know, I think that there's like, um, there are non-trivial, perhaps non-nutritional benefits associated with wine it's a great thing to share with friends it's a social lubricant it's like you know it's a de-stressor and um and all those are are meaningful potentially meaningful benefits and so i'm not you know like i'm not anti-wine i definitely enjoy it but i think it's like if you can if you can drink healthily like if you can do it with like organic lower sugar all that stuff, you know, don't let it lower inter- sugar inter- tends to mean lower alcohol. Like there's a balancing act with wine. And so when it's lower sugar, it tends to be lower alcohol. And there's also something called residual sugar. And so that's kind of what we're talking about. And with lots of wines, high quality wines, there's no residual sugar, mm. just an alcohol calorie, really. And wow. so the, pro- the the negative effects tend to be just hangovers from too right. much alcohol, from too much alcohol. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and like because it's fifteen and a half percent instead of twelve and a half percent, so you're drunker. Right. How do you prevent a hangover? I mean, you must know like better than more, <laughs> more than the rest of us if you're, you know. A wine I drink. actually one of the best tricks is to take activated charcoal before you go to bed. Interesting. Yeah, and then if you get in the real weeds the next day, um, you need to have always have Zofran on hand. 
What's that? It's a uh, anti-nausea medicine. Wow. Um, it's usually, I mean, it's something prescribed for like cancer patients or, you know, sometimes like I had some, I had NAD treatments done. And so they'll give me some Zofran to start and then do the NAD because it makes you feel like shit. Um, so it can kind of kills the, the, the neurotransmitter from your stomach to your head. So you don't know you're sick. Whoa. So yeah, it's, so if you're really in the weeds, you just need to have Zofran. It's like the adult, it's the adult tip for life. Like always have some Zofran. Wow. Um, but yeah, uh, charcoal activated charcoal at night, two or three of those at night before you go to bed, if you've been drinking sometimes, I mean, even if you've only had a, two drinks, let's say sometimes that can still create a little bit of like a haziness in the morning where you're like, oh, I know I drank. You can wake up in the morning after taking a couple activated charcoal and feel like you didn't drink at all. Amazing. I'm yeah. going to do that. Yeah. I mean, I don't drink that often, but I definitely like a couple times a month have, you know, red wine or tequila. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, that's really good to know. I love I tequila think, too. Yeah. It's, uh, low, low tequila is low in what are called congeners, which are like, you know, essentially these, like the components of, uh, spirits, like colored spirits that, mm -hmm. that can induce hangover potentially. Huh. But I, yeah. I think the biggest needle mover for me is just to make sure that like, I enjoy the buzz and I'm sober by the time I go to sleep. So, yeah. so that the alcohol doesn't affect my sleep, which we yeah, know it, yeah, can, totally. it negatively does. Well, it'll totally affect your heart rate, very your HRV. Well, I mean, your recovery, if you drank too close to, to bedtime, will be compromised, even if it's just one. But an odd test that was that I not I didn't do it on purpose, but by nature of just wearing the CGM monitor and then also going through life is like I was on a trip. And so some nights we'd be drinking wine and my blood sugar was way lower in the morning when I drank. And so there's probably, like you said, it's a little bit of a social lubricant. It's a relaxer. And so I wonder me being someone that has a hard time, you know, going in a parasympathetic and relaxing. I wonder if there's just that sort of psychological down regulation that happens with the relaxing from it, which is why it's, it has its place. Yeah, I definitely think so. Okay, so that's the third tier. So it's all liquids. Yeah. <laughs> what's the what's the top? What's the top that is like splurges that aren't stupid? Like we're not talking about like, you know, going to the cheesecake factory and killing it or having like, you know, an entire like a stuffed crust pizza from Pizza Hut. Like we're not talking about that. I mean, you can do those things in moderation in your life. I don't know super macro level but like we're talking about like your little like splurges that happen once you know a couple times a week yeah i would say yeah that would that would be like the those would be like the yolo foods and for me like i love yeah. pizza you know but even when i eat pizza i try to eat like i try to do it like a little bit healthier like maybe i'll get it on like a cauliflower crust if i know a good place that does that well yeah. um and i'll just go to town on that you know and i, I don't like restrict myself so yeah you know if i want pizza and then that's like my yolo food for the week or whatever like I'll eat as much as I want. Um, or if it's like gluten-free, like grain-free, like cookies or donuts or whatever, you know, like I feel like you can have your cake and eat it too, so to speak. It's just like yeah. most people eat those foods not sort of knowing the downstream results, you know, that they're going to feel like crap afterwards um, or that they're not going to be able to moderate their consumption of them. 
Um, there's no, there's no semblance of like balance, I think for most people, you know, also they eat them all the time, those kinds of foods, like all the time for me, it's like a once a week thing or once every other week, you know, where I'll have like, yeah, you know, I'll have like what's called what I, what I refer to as like a planned indulgence, you know, like I'll have like a pizza night with like my friends or my brothers, you know, I'll invite them over and we know that it's just gonna be like a no holds barred, like, you know, we're just gonna like gorge ourselves on pizza. I think that's, that's like totally fine to do. Right. Because it's informed consent. Most people don't have that with the foods that they're eating. They don't know why they why they overconsume certain foods. They don't know the behavioral effects of these kinds of like hyper palatable foods. Yeah. Um, so, but for me, like as long as I, yeah, I like I think you can you can definitely like integrate them and have them as part of your diet. And whether and if even if they're not good necessarily for the body, they're good for the soul. And I think that's an important part totally. of like balance. You know. Yeah. And I think too, there's so much sort of research behind having those caloric influx days where you're not always in this, you're not always in a calorie deficit or you're not always at a certain sort of maintaining level. There are these sort of dips and valleys and how it can definitely, it can help your metabolism too. And it can help your base metabolic rate stay a little higher when you have those days. They're a little bit like, okay, I eat some things that make me feel better, but I'm still kind of like overdoing it. Yeah, for a while in in the world of bodybuilding, there was this idea of like the leptin refeed, like it like a re, like a mm. deliberate refeed. Like when you're in a when you're in a chronic state of a caloric deficit, you know, to get for example to lose fat, um, it can over time it can slow your metabolism as your body gets more efficient with calorie burning because it your body doesn't want to waste away right like mm -hmm. your body your body realizes that it's got to get more efficient with calories otherwise like it's gonna start you're gonna starve to death. Mm -hmm. And so your metabolism tends to slow over time. And so the idea behind these leptin refeeds was basically that like eating foods that were very calorically dense and, and high, particularly in carbohydrates, would cause an increase, like a spike in the hormone leptin, which is sort of thought to be like a metabolic master regulator. And mm. so by in, in doing that, you can sort of cause your metabolism to, you know, go back up to what it was before the, the, the dieting essentially brought it down. Got it. So, so the idea would be that you can raise the level high quicker than it drops. So you kind of keep this ratchet machine up where you like have caloric deficit for an ex more of a longer period of time. Then you have this one little spike of a caloric influx where you had a lot more. And so it can come up more. Yeah, I haven't I haven't like looked. For, it's been a while since I've looked into the into the science and the thinking around that. But um, but yeah, I know that that people who are like, you know, physique competitors these days like the i i think maybe the new, the term that people are using now is like reverse dieting oh, um, yeah. yeah but i mean i'm you know that's uh, that's a little bit out of my wheelhouse but in general yeah it's like it's thought that like you know getting off the diet for a day or two and then and bringing those kind of foods back mm -hmm. will then you know kind of work to stoke the metabolic yeah. flame, so to speak all right well top of the pyramid stoke the flame yeah yellow um, foods Okay. Are there some things to kind of wrap things up? Are there some things that you used to consume or do even? I mean, I would imagine to some degree that being interested in health and wellness, that it goes beyond just food and it can get into other modalities and different things. So are there some, so feel free to include them or not. Um, are there things that you used to do that you're like, I can't freaking believe I used to do that. Like seriously. And are there things now that you feel like I'm obsessed with this. 
I don't know how I'll ever not do this anymore. Cause I mean, those things that you did back then, or at least I'm speaking for myself, I should, I should put this first person. There's stuff that I used to do that. I thought, oh man, this is the best thing I can possibly do for myself. Bring on the soy nuts. Right. Yeah. And then I thought, you know, I'll never be different than that. And then all of a sudden you learn. And so I'm curious what the things, what those things of the past are and what the things are right now that you're obsessed with that you think, how is this ever going away? But they could be a thing of the past someday. Oh, God. Well, I mean, I think definitely growing up, I consumed lots of like vegetable oil based products. Mm. And uh, I remember I would think that like plant based was was generally better for you. Um, I was never vegan or plant based or anything like that. But I remember like I would swap out a few meals here and there, like a few animal products with like, you know, occasionally like a, a soy product. You know, I remember uh, discovering soy rizo and like using that and yeah, it's like a chorizo, but it's like made of like soy is loaded with soy soy nuggets. And yeah, it's like the most processed garbage, like, like ever. I think I I would buy it from like Trader Joe's, but it's like (laughs) really delicious actually when you put it in eggs, (laughs) you know, but of course it's delicious. It's like ultra, it's like engineered. It's It's totally engineered. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so I would eat that. I would, I remember I would like drink soy milk instead of like regular milk. Totally. Um, I still occasionally enjoy like almond milk and like I had a macadamia nut milk, like matcha latte earlier, but, um, but soy milk, I remember I would drink all the time. Um, and I would just get so bloated from it. Like after just like a cup of it, and I would like, I wouldn't understand like why. Right. Um, I'm so healthy. I'm just going to keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. We get, we get something in our head. Yeah. I would feel like shit, but, um, but, you know, I would just like I thought that it was like healthier, right? It had almost as much protein as a cup of milk, but it wasn't milk. So how bad could it be? Right. And so, I would, yeah, I would eat all that stuff. I would I would buy like fake butter products. Oh, totally. Oh, I would also use I was a big user for a while of flaxseed oil as my omega three source, which I know now is a really bad Really, a really poor source of omega three fatty acids huh. because they don't easily get converted in the body, especially the male body, to huh. DHA and EPA, which are their active forms hmm. in the body. Yeah. So now I take fish oil when I want butter. I use like real butter. Um, I've been drinking like I've got like goat milk in my fridge. I'm yeah. like a different different person these days. Yeah, I love goat cheese. Yeah, goat. It's awesome. It's actually, I mean, goat milk, goat dairy is a good source of medium chain triglycerides too. You don't even have to, you get like the nutrients of goat cheese and and goat milk, right? Like protein, but it's not, and MCTs, but it's not empty calories like MCT oil. Yeah. I'd rather use Mm. goat dairy products than MCT oil, which is again, just like empty calories. You've just changed my mind. I'm going to get, I'm going to be putting that goat milk in now. Nice. It's good. It's like kind of sweet. So goat products, what else are you doing right now that you're so convinced on? Uh, what about like some other modalities, like you know, cotton cold, sauna, ice, you know, cold plunge? Yeah. Any of that stuff? I do all that, but I feel like people like people can, are already familiar with that, you know, but I love sauna. I'm a huge sauna fan for what it does to my cardiovascular system, my brain health, sweating out toxins, you know, which we know we accumulate. Um, super important. Um, I wrote in my second book about endocrine disrupting compounds and just how we're like, they're just ever present in our environments. Totally. Um, 
And because of the food industrial complex, you know, our vegetables now are a source of like of heavy metals and stuff. And so when you, when you sweat, you legitimately excrete compounds that don't um, effectively get excreted other ways, you know, like urine, for example, like you actually sweat out various toxins. So I think it's important to sweat regularly. Do you take binders as well? No, I don't. I've uh, I've heard of those, but I'm not. I haven't like looked into them. So. Well, I had. I'm cleaning up heavy metal toxicity. Like I wow. had some seriously high mercury. Like mm. the threshold is five, and mine was 170. Wow. Last summer when I did a provoked urine test. So, um, but yeah, binding is just charcoal, clay, fulvic acid, those kinds of things. Because mm. essentially, yeah, you sweat some of it out, but you liberate a lot of it and especially if you you know if it stays in the body and it's liberated it can go somewhere else or like more can go up to the brain so binding with the heat and the sort of detoxing can be just a smart thing to do i guess yeah i want to learn more about that for sure i mean i yeah i generally just i'll sweat um i think i think like that's that's super important whether or not you have access to a sauna like i think it's one of the major reasons why exercise is so beneficial um and i'm not like a big sweater when i exercise like especially with like with weights i don't really i tend not to sweat very often but i've been trying to do a little bit more cardio these days which uh for a long time i neglected and now i'm you know i think i'm starting to come back around to the benefits like the whole body benefits of cardio of cardio exercise. So I'm trying to do a little bit more of that these days. So what's your split? Like how many lifting, how many cardio sessions a week? Well, I think with any exercise program, first of all, whatever you like to do, like just, just keep doing that. But also I, th- I do think that it's important to d- to do both and to not set the bar too high. So as to not be able to adopt a sustainable routine. So for me, like what I started with was, you know, I'm just going to try to run a mile a day. Like that's not, if you think about it, like that's an eight or nine minute commitment you know, yeah. or 10 minute commitment. It's really not, it's really not that difficult to do. Yeah. Um, I mean, even, even for somebody who's like not trained, you're still gonna have to work your way up to that, I suppose. But, um, but you know, rather than try to push it like every day, like, Oh, I did a, a mile. Now I'm going to do two miles. Now I'm going to do three miles. I just know how my brain works. And if I got to a point where I was doing four miles, at a certain, at some point I'd be like, Oh, I don't really, you know, fuck, I don't really feel like doing four miles today. You know, true. it becomes yeah. too big of a hurdle. You have to sort too big of, of a hurdle. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. have to make it accessible. Accessible. Yeah. And, and like something that you can like do again and again and again. So for me, it's like, if I could just do a mile, that's it. That's like all I'm, that's better than nothing. Right. So, mm-hmm. and I don't really love running. Like I like it now because I'm, I've gotten my cardiovascular, like my aerobic base, to a point where like, it's actually fairly easy for me to do a mile now. But, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't really try to push it like every day. I just try to make sure that I'm doing a mile. Yeah. And, um, and I feel really good about, about that. You know, That's a great lesson. Make yeah. it accessible, keep it so that it's within reach because otherwise it'll be discouraging. I love that. Yeah. Just a mile. And like, it might take you 10 or 11 minutes at first, but like eventually you'll be able to as you get more used to it, you know, also I think what's key is like good, sh- good running shoes. <laughs> so get yourself a pair of those, but yeah, just like try to do a mile, try to do a mile a day. Like if you could do a mile a day, I do a treadmill. I like running on a treadmill more than I like running outside. So, um, but yeah, I've been doing it 
most days, most days. And it's great. Yeah. Some days if I feel really energetic and I'm at the mile, I'm like, okay, I could, I could, I'm feeling good. Why stop now? I'll do a mile and a half. But the next day I again, go back to, let's just see if we could do a mile. You know, yeah. it's not, it's not like I build these like impossible or like these ever, it's not like, you know, the expectation that I have of myself increases with every workout. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, mm -hmm. as long as I can do a mile, it's better than not doing a mile. I think that's a like, I feel like that's a very holistic approach for you in general. Like that feels like how you're talking about food and, you know, how that shows up in your life and what you do is just make things accessible, like do a good job most of the time. Yeah. Longevity. Exactly. Longevity. It's, it's. Don't stress about it. Don't stress about it. Yeah. Cause it's like, you know, one single meal is not going to sway your health in any direction, right? Either to, you know, to yeah. the, in a negative way or a positive way. It's about the pattern. It's about the dietary pattern. It's about what you do, how you eat day in and day out. And the same thing goes for your exercise. Yeah. So I know that I love, I've always loved weightlifting. Like that's my default. Like I go into a gym and I'm like at home in a gym, you know, with, with that. But oh. the cardio thing has always been like a hurdle for me. Cause I just feel like, you know, I'm tall. Like my, my body is like, I've, I was never an athlete really. So running for me is not something that I just like really enjoy, but I think it's so important. I think it's like important for your, um, just for everything, for your brain, for your, yeah. you know, for your coordination, for your mobility, for your joints. Well, thank you. I think you've shared so many great gems and helped me learn about so many various different things. Screw that MCT oil. I interviewed Dave tomorrow, so I'm going to tell him that. Dave Asprey? Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, he always, I mean, whenever I post about kale, he, he's the first to comment. <laughs> of course. So, and I recently started talking about why, like, I think butter is like a super tasty, great food to use in moderation, but it's not something that I like regularly consume. You saw so that. Yeah. So I made a different choice today, by the way. Did I you? put cream in, raw dairy, raw cream. I love that. I was like, well, Max said that butter's not all that in the cherry on top so i'll just put the cream in yeah I, I love that but you know it's like uh i feel like dave probably isn't gonna want to hear that but um but you know i'm not dogmatic and i also am not uh i'm non-combative with people that have differing and opposing viewpoints than my own right like i think that i think that the whole of of humanity benefits from the plurality of voices as opposed to any one single entity controlling the conversation Mm. And, um, and me, you know, like when I got started, it was books. It was like, it was like, you know, like the, 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 the functional medicine doctors that really were, uh, offered hope to me. And, you know, I learned that everybody has like a different viewpoint. And at the end of the day, it, it compelled me to dive into like the medical literature for myself to, 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 to develop my own sort of internal truth compass. Right. But I think the more voices we can have in the space, the better. And they don't have to be MDs. They don't have to be PhDs. They, I think like, you know, a, a highly motivated generalist amateur um, oftentimes can have more to offer than, you know, than PhDs who are so mired in their little microcosms, you know, or MDs who are trained in accordance to like practice guideline-based medicine, which is influenced yeah. by so many variables, not least of which money, right? Uh, open up the focus, right? Instead of being an expert in one little area, it's about more being a generalist. And I think that invokes this sort of like real sort of chill approach that you have to it. So I appreciate that. And I'm <laughs> sure that's why so many people follow you and love your stuff. So thank you. 
Thank you so much. This was so fun. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Pretty Intense podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, please click on the subscribe button.